Good morning. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Colossians, chapter number two. We've been talking about, over the school holidays, talking about the identity that we have in Jesus Christ. And I think that this thing that we, we talked about with camp, what a blessing it was. I was able to go down and, and um, I caught more at camp than what I probably gave, <laughs> hopefully. But, the, um, but being able to, to, to counsel with some of the young people and to pray with them and talk with them and to hear um, how God's working in their lives. The challenges that we have today um, with our youth and our society is not unique. We always say, oh, well, it's always tougher for the young people today. Actually, it's been tough ever since anybody decided that they were going to stand up for Jesus Christ, that they were going to actually stand up and be counted amongst the people of God. And one of the things that, that we understand that, that as we are, the Bible tells us in, in one passage of Scripture, in the, in the King James, it says this, that we are peculiar people. Some of you are peculiar without being Christians, but anyway, it means that you're, 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 you stand out because you belong to Jesus Christ. And so we've learned here that by doing that, there's, there's several things that happen in our life that is different than, than other people. First of all, we draw comfort in that we can pray for one another. And um, I'm re receiving um, text messages this week and and, and, and a couple calls that, that people say, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And that brought much comfort. And, and uh, as, as we do it with one another, we've learned from, from these passages of scriptures that, that one thing that we do as believers in Jesus Christ that identifies us with Jesus Christ is the fact that we actually, um, we actually are concerned about other people. And so we keep them in our prayers. And we also find out that we have a new community, a community that is called the church. And the church is the ecclesia, the ones who are called out. And then they meet in assemblies all across this planet right now and across this city there are christians that are meeting together and doing what we're doing here right now and we find out that that that's part of our identity in jesus christ is that he calls out his body his people to grow in the faith that he has given us and so we also find out that that um, with all the news reports that we're receiving um in in um in, down the track and all the things that we have our confidence can can be um can be shaken can't it and we find out that our confidence is not found in the things of the world that as we're praying for one another and we're community together with with the church we find that that our actual confidence comes from our identity that we have in jesus christ and so last week uh Pastor Michael was looking at, at the three things that we need to know if we're going to grow. And he, he got that from, the, um, from verses 6 and 7 of our passage. And he, and he talked about how um, one thing that, that, that develops from being a, a Christian who is going to, be, um, going to discover his identity in Christ is he's going to be a thankful Christian. And he understands that, that God is good all the time and in all circumstances. I hope you had a chance to look at the video clip that was in the um, bulletin last week and that was um, put, it's on the church website and all this. It's, it's a tremendous testimony that God is good all the time, even when we don't understand it. And so we become people who are thankful, people who have gratitude. We live in a society today that believes that everybody owes them something, whereas we have an attitude that's different than that because of our identity in Christ. We also find out that, that, uh, that as, as Christians, 
that we, are, we walk and we're grounded in truth and we're established in the truth and, our, and the roots grow really deep. And so I think the point was that we are moving Christians and that we are learning Christians and learning Christians are always growing Christians. And by the way, this coming week, we're starting our connect groups again. I want you to get involved in those. We have a, a, a men's discipleship group on Wednesday night. That's by invitation only. If you want an invitation, come and see me and you'll get one. And then um, we also have on Friday nights, we have our new brand new adult grow night. And many people have already signed up for that. And if you would like to sign up for that, go ahead and sign up today. I need to know today so that we can um, get all the material together. But that will be the, this coming Friday. The youth have their Friday Grow Nights as well, where they're learning from God's Word. Why? Because believers in Jesus Christ are always learning and always growing. Well, this morning, um, we're going to see that in Christ, we are complete. We're sufficient. We don't have to add anything else to us to, um, um, to, to make us complete in Jesus Christ. And you're going to see here that the Apostle Paul addresses that. Because Jesus Christ alone is sufficient for all of our spiritual needs. For all the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus Christ. And we're going to exalt Jesus Christ here today. And we're going to show you who he is. And once we understand who he is, we'll understand that we don't, we don't bring symbolism in to represent not not just wearing the shirt or having or having the biggest bible or having whatever now what it is it's our identity in jesus christ that comes but from not just the symbolism but it comes from the relationship that we have in him so have you found your scripture there in colossians chapter 2 let's look at the key verses here verses 8 through 10 and and there are some notes there in your bulletin if you'd like to to um, follow up on that. In verse number 8, the Apostle Paul begins with the word beware. He says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Every word in Scripture is very important. And you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Paul gets here in the, um, halfway through his letter to the church, and he's warning the Colossians that false teachers were out there. And they're out there to destroy their faith, that their faith is in Jesus Christ alone and is out to destroy it. He assures them that Jesus Christ truly is God. He's God in the flesh. He's not just a philosophy. He's not just a, um, uh, uh, somebody that, that they follow their, his example. He actually is God in the flesh. And Christ is all they needed for salvation. And so as we look at this, the first thing he gives us is a warning. He begins with a warning. He says, beware, beware, lest anyone cheat you. The word cheat there means to plunder. It means to capture. You know, Paul here is being, using some very powerful words here. He's saying here, these aren't just minor little things that we have co that come across our way. These are things that can grab us and can completely destroy us or capture us in, in taking away the joy that we have with, with the Lord. You know, people today are obsessed with self, aren't they? Whatever looks good for them. In fact, um, over this last century, 
Um, there have been um, manifestos that have been um, um, established called the Humanist Manifesto. Some of you may have heard of it. Um, there was one in 1933. None of you would have heard of that one. There was, um, some in, uh, there was another one in 1973. And then the third manifesto was done in 2003. Why? Because people always have to come up with something new. The Humanist Manifestos were basically declared that humankind is autonomous and that all the things that we have are subject to our own reason. It's amazing when people who think that they're God have to be told that they're God. They, they have to be, because they seem to forget that. Let me give you a couple of little examples. I've got a couple of examples that I grabbed from the first manifesto. I'm not going to show it on the screen, but just listen carefully to the attitude that's, that was in our, that's in our society today. These are well-established. They're taught in schools. They're in our society. We see them in government. Man is at last becoming aware that he alone is responsible for the realization of the world of his dreams and that he has within himself the power for achievement. Sound familiar? He must set intelligence and will to the task. That was back in 1933. They said, if you're ever going to do anything, you've got to do it. It's got to come from yourself. Dream big and put your mind into it and you can do whatever you want. Well, they began to look at that and work on that. And the next generation came up in the 1973, the year I got out of high school, the 1973, they came up with the second manifesto. Another document that, they, that the world came together and they, they, they came up with this one. He, and, and I got a quote from the um, introductory statement which is, um, um, establishes what this manifesto is going to say. It says, and I quote, But we can discover there's no divine purpose or providence for the human species. While there is much that we do not know, humans are responsible for what we are are what we will become. Interesting statement. Let me throw in something here. They admit in one hand, they don't know everything, and yet we do know one thing, is that there is no God. <laughs> there, there's, there's nothing else out there. He says here, no deity will save us. I'm quoting from this document. We must save ourselves. We believe in maximum individual autonomy, consonant with social responsibility. In other words, they're talking about a value system that you can dream up yourself, but then, but then they know it's going gonna, it's gonna to hit a problem with society. You can't be everything you want to be. What they fail to recognize here is the sinful condition that people are in that the Apostle Paul is going to address here. In other words, they're saying we're in charge, but we don't know that we're in charge, and we don't know how to handle it. They are saying that a person's identity and their greatest fulfillment is found from within. Back in 1985, there was a book written called Habits of the Heart. It was a group of, um, of professors and sociologists. I think some of them came from Harvard. And they were doing a, a study as to why is it that in society, people are like doing whatever they want to do and they don't gather together in churches anymore. Well, first of all, they do. 
churches are actually growing. The ones who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are actually growing. But 1985, they came up with this book. And in this book, they began to interview people. And, and just to cut to the chase, what they did is they found this young nurse who trusted, who, uh, who was typical of, of, of the, uh, of the um, young people of the day. And she trusted in her own ability to do whatever she wanted to do. And she um, imagined whatever she imagined was going to be true and was going to be worth her following. Her name, she has a name, her name is Sheila Larson. And so as I interviewed Sheila Larson, I found a quote that she, that she came up with. And let, let me quote it to you. She says this. She goes, I believe in God, but I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith, has my faith has carried me a long way, and I've actually put a name to it. I call it Sheilaism. You're supposed to laugh there. Sheilaism. I know, it's pathetic, isn't it? She says, just my own little voice. It's just to try to love yourself and to be gentle with yourself. You know, I guess it means to take care of each other. And I think God would want us to take care of each other. So, you know, Sheila certainly had a, an, a, a code of ethics. But her code of ethics was not based on anything from outside of herself. It wasn't based on any divine revelation of any sort. And so she was lost in hopelessness. Whatever she would think about would be what was her, her, her ideal for that time. I wonder what Sheila Larson thinks about today. You know, where you can make up your own identity and express it any way you want. We see that in society today. The number one thing that we hear today is be true to yourself. Do whatever you want to be. You can even change your gender. You can change your identity. You can change whatever you want. And so that's the philosophy that we have today. It's the lure of self-expression instead of personal transformation. The Christian message is personal transformation. The world's philosophy is express yourself whatever you want. So the result, of course, is disastrous for society. And we see that in our society today. And that, that paints a fairly bleak picture. However, the word gospel means good news. And there is some very, very good news. But let's hear what, what God says about this sort of philosophy. In 1 Corinthians 3, in verses 19 and 20, um, the Apostle Paul says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. And so we see here that any philosophy which is according, look, at, look back in your verse again in verses, um, um, verse number 8. Any, any philosophy that is according to the tradition of men or it's part of the basic principles of the world is going to run counter to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. This is an important thing for us to understand because you and I are getting this 24-7. We're getting this in the media. In fact, a lot of it we're getting in the Christian media today. We need to be people of discernment. 
let me show you how this works. I, I'm, I'm going to cut to the chase here a little bit, but I'm going to go down because I've got the whole passage from verses 8 to 23. There's no way we're going to be able to cover that today. But let me give you an idea of what Paul is talking about here. There's two different areas. Look down in verses 18 and 19 where Paul talks about this. He says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, the worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his own fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head that is Christ, from whom all the body, that would be the church, is nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. What Paul is saying here, he's saying that, that there's a fake Christianity out there that says that you must add something else that is apart from God and that, that has come from your own mind and your own imagination. He says, be careful about that because that will rob you. It's, it's a humili humility, but it's a false humility. It's a worship, but it's a worship of, he quotes here, angels. And there, there's, a, there's a whole thought about that with the Gnostics uh, that, um, that this passage is talking about. But then it continues. Look at verses 20 and 23. He talks about how men are plundered with a man-made legalism that we add to ourselves. He says, therefore... If you died with Christ, that is our identity in Christ, from the basic principles of the world that he talked about in verse number 8, why as though living in the world do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. He says, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You know, we have a battle going on with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And often what, would, what we do today, when we have this battle with the, with the flesh, is we can add human philosophy and to try to conquer the battle with the flesh and yet he says here by doing that that there's no value about it you know i can remember one time i was reading a, a book about how to to overcome a, a particular temptation and say that when that temptation comes carry some rocks in your pocket and take those rocks and just run them around in your hand every time those are in your hand you'll remember that you're in that battle yeah, and yet the Bible tells us to put on the armor of God. The Bible gives us clear instruction in how to do this battle. So this is how deceptive, deceitful these philosophies are. So the Apostle Paul, and this is the whole premise of my whole message here today. The Apostle Paul is now going to present us with the truth. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, there were four young people at camp who, who have received Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And it's such a good, it's like, it's like the birth of a child, you know. It's, it's a wonderful thing to, 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 to see because you know that this person's on a wonderful new journey. And perhaps you're on that journey too today. And you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you understand that you need to be growing in Him. 
And you understand that as you, as you begin to grow in him, that there's going to be all these different thoughts that are going to be coming in. And you need to t- take those and you can run those through um, the scripture and to see how they hand, hand, um, um, stand out. The Apostle Paul is going to give us two things to, to understand when we talk about the Lord. Number one is we have a complete Savior. A complete Savior. In Colossians um, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, he talks about um, 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 who Christ is. He says in verse number 9, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Interesting term, isn't it? That term, fullness. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It comes from a Greek word which is called pleroma. Pleroma, that's a fun word because it's a word that's only, it's used probably about 17 times I think in the New Testament. But it's only used twice in the book of Colossians. It means to be totally filled. There's nothing else can be added to it. It's complete. It's finished. The definition is, in this context, it's the sum total of all that God is. All of his beings and all of his attributes. The teaching of that day was that you accept Jesus as your Savior, fine. But now you have to add other things to it in order to be complete in order to have pleroma and he says here no no he says in Jesus Christ he possessed all the essential nature the characteristics and the prerogatives of deity he's indeed God in the flesh folks get a hold of that truth don't ever get over that that Jesus Christ today is at the right hand of the Father in a human body and he is indeed God in the flesh. Every single cult group will deny that. Um, 1 John warns us about that. In Colossians 1 verse 19, um, um, which we talked about, I think it was last January we talked about that. He says here, For it pleased the Father that in him all the pleroma, all the fullness should dwell incarnate in the flesh. When the angel came down, he says, they shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And this fullness is continual. It's permanent. And, the, and, and he says in verse number nine that this, this fullness of God is in the flesh of Jesus Christ bodily. Words mean things. We've just finished um, um, celebrating Easter, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and, and for many people, that's just a symbolic things. And yet it's actually true, physically true. Jesus accomplished everything that he did on the cross in a physical body. He accomplished rising from the dead in a physical but sinless body. Forty days following his resurrection, Jesus Christ ascended bodily back to heaven where he is today sitting at the right hand of the Father. You can read about in the book of Acts chapter 3 and Colossians chapter 3. He's going to talk about that in verse number 1. This is what we Christians believe. That's why we're called believers. That's one reason why 
we believe because we believe in the word of God. So Paul, before he gets into these philosophies, don't be cheated with the philosophies that are empty, deceitful, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. Why? Who is this Christ? Well, he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Do you believe that? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ? He is a complete Savior. Because if you have, something wonderful has happened. Look at the remarkable truth in verse number 10. I absolutely love this passage. I think I say that on every passage I preach from. You know, he says in verse number 10, he says, he, he says in verse num, um, 9, the fullness of the Godhead body. Look at verse 10. And you are complete in him. That word complete is from the same root word. It's plero. And plero simply means to be completely filled up. You cannot put any more in. You cannot add any more to it. Whether you've been saved for five minutes or 50 years, you are complete in Jesus Christ. We have no need for any man's philosophy or any man's religion. We simply need to um, grow um, uh, spiritually, not by legalism or by philosophy, but by being nurtured in the word of God. And Paul keeps bringing them back to that. And by the way, the, the term here, th this powerful understanding of our identification in, in Christ is, is, um, is, look what it says in verse number 10, you're complete in him. And who is he again? He's reminding us, he's the head of all principality and power. I actually looked this up in the Greek and I found out that that term complete means completed. It's a permanent relationship. It's something you cannot lose. You know, there'll be a day when you and I will wake up in glory. The second resurrection will come up. Uh, the, the, and the, 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 the Bible says that, that he'll come and he'll rapture his people and we'll come back and all the resurrections will be done and we'll be standing before glory and we will be in a glorified body and we'll be worshiping the Lord. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that we do not see how we are now. We're not going to see, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. Paul says to the Colossians, you need to know this. You need to understand this if you're going to have confidence in this world that we're living in. We have a complete Savior. And so our growth, if you and I are going to grow, uh, listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in, in John 15, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Oh, yes, we have a complete Savior. Therefore, if we have a complete Savior, Paul's going to say, well, we have a complete salvation. We don't have to add anything more to it. Um, he, he says in, in, in Colossians chapter 2, look at verses number 11 and 12. He says, in him, you were, excuse me, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. 
The, the, the circumcision in, in the Jewish culture is, is, a, is a form of identification. It identified you with the God of Israel. So you could be circumcised without any sort of change of attitude. It was an outward symbol. He says, but no, he says, this circumcision that we're talking about, here's a play on words here. He says, it's not made with, with hands. It's made without hands. Here's what it is. It's the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In other words, what Christ did is he put off the body of sins in the flesh. He says that we're buried with him in baptism, verse number 12, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It removes the power of sin. In other words, we have complete acceptance with the Lord. Our God is a holy God. And the word sin literally means to miss the mark. But he is indicating here that you and I who are identified in Jesus Christ have been accepted by God. In Romans 6 and verses 4 and 5, he says, Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. Another identification. He says, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. The body of sin might be done away with. He, he had the, um, the power of sin has been broken in Jesus Christ, not through the philosophies of the world, but through your relationship with Jesus Christ. You're no longer slaves of sin. And further, he, he goes on in, in chapter 6 um, more so when he says in verses 10 and 11, for the death that he died, that Jesus died, he died once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Understand it to be true, in other words. But now you're alive to God in Christ Jesus the Lord. So we have acceptance. You are accepted in the beloved, the Bible says. And number two is, is you also um, have forgiveness. Look at Colossians chapter 2 again and look at verses number, let's see, verse 13 down to verse 15. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, you were dead in the fact that you actually were sinners and you're dead or separated in the fact that you are no, not identified with the Lord. He says here, he made us alive together in him. And how did he do it? By having forgiven you of all trespasses. Oh, praise God for that. He doesn't, he doesn't come back to you. If, you. if you have the past keep creeping up and, 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 and haunting you, that's not the Lord doing that. He's forgiven you of all your trespasses. And how did he do it? Look at verse 14. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Wiped them out. Which was contrary to us. And he's taken it out of the way and he's nailed it to the cross. The book of Galatians talks about this. And, and in, in, that, in that passage, he talks about how he took those trespasses and it's like he, he blotted them out. 
like he had a, a blot there or some ink and he took a blotter there and just sucked them right out. You are now righteous in the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how do I know that? You know that because you believe in God's word. He said that and therefore it's true. And so before salvation, we were alienated from God in those two areas in our trespasses and in our identification. But now as believers, we've been made alive. And Paul says, don't ever forget that. You're united with the Lord. Um, I haven't read verse 15 yet. We'll get to that in just a moment. But through Christ's work on the cross, the payment for your sin was made. Your pardon and your forgiveness is yours by his grace. In Christ, our sin's debt was canceled. And as I was dwelling on that and thinking about that, that, that beautiful song, It Is Well With My Soul by Spanford, that, 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 that term, that, that phrase, he says, Oh, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but in whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. So we have acceptance, and we have forgiveness but we also have complete victory. Look at verse number 15, Paul says here. He says, uh, after he nailed it to the cross, having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. We have the picture here. Here's Jesus on the cross, and he's dying on the cross. From the world's point of view, he's losing. But we see here he's not losing. He's actually being triumphant. You notice uh, um, in the book of John and other places, he says, it is finished. Another word for it's complete. Nothing more needs to be done. And here the Apostle Paul gives us this wonderful picture that, that we're triumphant. It's like a triumphant general returning home after battle. And he leads his captives and his spoils of war in a great parade. And Christ is on the cross. He's disarmed the opposition. He stripped the powers of Satan from their evil hold over the lives of people. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, he actually destroyed your enemy, the devil. Um, John says it this way. Jesus said it this way, and John recorded it. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. Well, when is that? He says, when I go to the cross. In Corinthians, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 14, he says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. So Paul is indicating here that we have acceptance because we have a complete salvation. We have forgiveness because we have a complete salvation. We are triumphing because we have a complete salvation. So in Christ, every believer is victorious over sin and death. Our Lord leads us triumphantly every step of the way. So we don't need to go through and listen to the, to the um, philosophies of the day that will indicate that we need something different got something this week that came it's not even in my notes it's something this week that you may have seen as well on facebook and and somebody put on facebook they said we want you to know that the virgin mary's looking over you and you're going to be okay tonight that reminded me it says here that we have this false humility and worship of angels 
And he says, not in truth those things which he has not seen. You're puffed up by your, your own fleshly mind and all this. And the first thing I thought is, no, no, my confidence is that the Lord Jesus Christ is with me tonight. And I hope that's your confidence as well. Do you know Jesus is your personal Savior? I'm not saying, do you know about Jesus? And do you know about all the good things that he's done in his life? and all? Do you know that he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily? He came to take your sins upon himself. And he being sinless took your sins and my sins. And he presented his righteousness to the Father for us. And so as we stand before the Lord God, we, we stand before him um, understanding that we're accepted by the Father. We stand before the Father and we understand that we've been forgiven by the Father. So we don't stand there in our own righteousness. We stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then we understand that we have the victory over sin in our lives that we're living here today. So as Paul brings this to th- this, this, this part to a conclusion, actually it's to a jumping off, he's going to bring it into chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the next school holidays, but you, you're allowed to read ahead. He says, now if you were risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting on the right hand of the Father, or the, of God. He says, set your mind on those things above, not on the things of earth, those philosophies that he's been talking about. He says, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And I pray, Lord, that you'll speak to our hearts. There are those who may be here today who, who are being tied up in in philosophies of, of, and, and, and circumstances of life that are coming down the line and, and they're confused. They're confused about their standing with you. And Lord, I pray that today they will understand who you truly are and that you are, you are the, um, you're Emmanuel. And Lord, I pray that they'll put their full faith and their trust in the provision that you gave us in that wonderful, complete salvation that we have because you are a complete savior and because of that we are complete in you so lord as we move through this next part of this service i pray that you'll speak to our hearts and if there's there's things and decisions that we need to make regarding that that we will turn those over to you now and i pray especially if there's somebody here who doesn't know you as their personal lord and savior that they will see how wonderful this this truth is that they can put their faith and their trust in you even right now. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.